welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're talking CONCACAF Champions Cup. We're talking big signings in Dallas, D.C., and New York, smart signings in Seattle and Austin, and LAFC doing things. We're going to get into it. Uh, joining me to talk about all that and much more is a man who has never been actively booed by thousands of angry fans in Hong Kong. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Congrats on not being involved in Inter-Miami's preseason tour. It's crazy. I've already got the new business cards printing with that factoid about me. Yes, I've never been booed by thousands of fans in Hong Kong uh, in any context, soccer or otherwise. Taylor, I'm, I'm really proud of myself. Way to, way to start the show off with a Joe win. I do appreciate that. Yeah, man. You, you deserve it. Uh, also flying under the radar, I believe, is DC United, who are doing their preseason tour in Saudi Arabia. And I think Correct. they're just using Inter-Miami to uh, soak up all that negative attention while they just do what they're doing and carry on with their business good stuff dc united i'm excited to talk about them later i think with us as well is a man who continues to pump coal into that vancouver island whitecaps fc hype train it's david goss you got them winning a playoff series you've got them third or fourth in the west when are you applying for canadian citizenship david i already did that's why i gotta grease the wheels right now (laughs) the train's already running down the tracks can i just tell a quick story because i think that's what everyone was waiting for Yes. When I was a younger person and I used <laughs> I to go to Joe's trepidation though. Go ahead. I used to go to basketball camp every summer and as one of the big things they would invite the Harlem Wizards to come and the Harlem Wizards were like the Harlem Globetrotters but the knockoff version but, but, but bookable, yeah. And they were the DC United in Saudi Arabia of like, "Oh, did you want to play Inter Miami and Messi? Well, we would come. How about you play us instead?" Oh, no. So, but like, at least you weren't getting the Washington Generals. Like, at least you were getting a Globetrotters <laughs> knockoff that I'm assuming were semi-entertaining. Did you have aspirations, Goss? Uh, no, because I couldn't spin the ball on a pen. Uh, that was like the big thing they did a million times with so many pens and so many balls. Uh, in your uh, basketball dreams, would you have preferred to be a Globetrotter or a member of the An One Mixtape Tour? Oh, come on, man. Hot sauce, uh-huh. 50 inches. Escalade. Escalade. That <laughs> yep. was the, I used to come home from school and watch that every day. Don't uh, even get me correct. started. That is the correct thing to come yeah. home and watch. Well done, guys. Joe, uh, any idea what we're talking about? No, I always wanted to be a Harlem right. Wizards kid, personally, just like Goss. <laughs> you know, got all the pens, got all the basketballs. That was my dream. Well, Joe, Joe pre- that does sound like your dream. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It really does. And Did you see cool, that? Add pens to make it nerdier. Yes, absolutely. Did you see that Microsoft Excel is an eSport now and there's an, a world championship that was just won? No. Um, Who would have seen that? What are you talking about? percent I saw that. <laughs> yeah. What? That sounds like Joe's dream. I didn't watch it. I saw it on social media and said, hmm, and nose exhaled and then kept scrolling. Taylor, yeah. that is the extent of my knowledge. Although, to be honest, I am kind of fascinated by that. I'm terrible at Excel. Is it is that real or is that like a viral marketing? No, thing no, no. It's a hundred percent real. It's been going on Explain. for years. Explain. They give the, they give you like equations and financial models. You and it's like who builds it quicker, more like and obviously correct starts and wins. And there's like rounds and stuff. The guy who won has won it back to back years, knocking off the LeBron James of Excel, who had won it three <laughs> years in a row. The winner gets to go work for Vanguard. I think that's how this all works. <laughs> the winner gets a job that they hate and three thousand dollars as a winning. <laughs> And a coupon to Staples. Uh, did you uh, refer to this as a sport, Goss? It's an eSport. All right. Sure. Why not? Congratulations to Excel for being an eSport. Congratulations to Joe Lowry, Lowry for bringing the enthusiasm to made-up competitions. And with that in mind, let's talk CONCACAF Champions Cup, not CONCACAF Champions League. That's Why did we rebrand? That's transition from made-up sports to a CONCACAF <laughs> competition. Well, specifically the fact that it has a new title. Was, was CCL... Is it not a league anymore? Is that why it is? Because well, we moved to the knockout okay. bracket? 
So I have so much time for this I name change. It, it's going to take do. time. It's going to take time for me to remember it. And Taylor, props to you. You're one for one so far on this show. I don't know what my hit rate's going to be, but it's probably not going to be 100%. It was not a league before. It was not a league. I feel like Graham, who sort of you know, even rails against at times, maybe I'm misremembering, but the concept of like MLS being a league because you know not everybody plays everybody, and that's a bit of a slippery slope, and I don't think Graham would even hold totally fast to that. But it wasn't a league. Like the barrier to entry... For new soccer fans, especially in this region, is already high enough. We don't need to confuse them by calling a, a league or a, a cup competition a league. Like it's a knockout tournament. That is what it is. American sports fans understand that. As you know, this sport in the United States grasps for relevance. I have so much time for actually calling it what it is and going back to the Concacaf Champions Cup moniker. Champions League over in Europe. You're next. So the time is short. Just to be clear, you and Graham by proxy. You start your debate about what is and isn't a league, not with the Champions League in Europe, which no, isn't. No, I don't. A league, re- I don't remember but with what Major said. League Soccer, which is an actual league. I don't. I don't remember what Graham said. I probably mischaracterized it, but I know Graham has taken umbrage with some of this league cup, you know, confusing title nonsense before, and I'm absolutely on board with that because it's stupid, and this is much better, even though it's going to take time to learn. I'm here for it. Um, I get your point a little bit on that. I think the obvious reason they by the way it wasn't champions league in like 2010 so they rebranded around then to champions league which was clearly trying to connect to uefa champions league which i think most people would say is the soccer competition that they are most familiar with in the world also not a league but sure yeah right so i think they were following that it should be a copa right like it should be copa concacaf or conca copa (laughs) or something like that and it used Copa. to be it's called Mario Copa. The Concacaf Concacopa. Yeah, let's 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 keep let's keep going. That's a thousand percent someone you can be in Mario Kart for sure. <laughs> what do we think? I'm going to assume that when they rebranded into the Champions League, there was some sort of existing Champions Cup that prevented them from going that route. So they had to go Champions League, and then everybody followed suit. All that to say. I'm fine with the rebrand. I'm fine with the expanded format. I'm very excited for it to be kicking off. I, I was not expecting that, but the more I read about it, I like the new format. I like how certain teams are entering at certain points, and I do think it's going to create some interest right away with games kicking off, what, today when we record yep. on February 6th. Uh, Joe, how are you feeling on the enthusiasm meter? Yeah, so I felt nothing prior to doing research just because I, I'm not all the way I'm not all the way engaged yet, man. Like nothing, Joe. It, it feels like the off season has been a blink, and we're about to be tossed right back into the deep end. So I, I've sort of just it's similar to my World Cup strategy in some ways, Taylor, of like you know just not thinking about how we're going to do it in 2026. That's sort of been my approach with Concacaf Champions Cup as well. But getting deeper in and like looking at the bracket, I love a bracket, man. Who doesn't love a bracket? Mm-hmm. I am actually now kind of stoked for this tournament. The format is a little bit different. So very, very quickly, there is now five teams that get an automatic buy to the next round. There are then 22 teams that are and playing. They all won. You know, these, they all won the something, right? You know, MLS, Liga Mekis, Leagues Cup. Yeah, things, sure. Right? That so, was the one that stands out to me as being... Slightly not like the others. MLS Cup, Liga Mekis, uh, Central American Cup, Caribbean Cup, and then League's Cup. It feels like maybe a way to get into Miami involved. Just Taylor's so. living in the past on, on League's <laughs> Cup. I, honestly, yeah, I, I kind of get where you're coming I from. I know, but, I know, I know. But you get all these teams then playing against each other, and then the five teams who got the first round by you know, will then match up against the teams that win the first legs. Like all this, all this stuff makes sense, right? But the thing that maybe excites me the most, outside of some of the bracket fun, which I, I do think we'll get to in a minute, 
is the prize money. I don't know if you guys saw this, and I had forgotten about this when the initial announcement came out. The prize money is $5 million to the winner, which is not like UEFA Champions League level money, but it's it's like high for this region, very, very high for this region. The US Open Cup doesn't even sniff that. Leaks Cup, I believe, doesn't sniff that. The past versions of CONCACAF Champions League haven't sniffed that. Like This is something new for this region, and I hope provides a little bit of jeopardy in a way that maybe this competition has somehow, or at least sometimes lacked outside of the MLS versus Liga MX narrative. Uh, Joe, to emphasize that one, a quick Google search tells me that the Seattle Sounders got about 500000 when they yeah. won it in 2022, yeah. but I think the payout was was uh, a little bit different than that. So yeah, that that is a pretty sizable difference. Uh, so do we think then that teams are going to be taking this more seriously or let me rephrase that are mls teams going to be taking this more seriously or is it going to be a we're in preseason mode so we'll do our best but we're not going too hard into this one what do you think us i think it'll be the same like i don't as as great as the name changes and i know everyone's gonna get hyped for the first game when joe comes out in a Concacaf jersey and just does a full sprint around the field i don't think there'll be any difference for most mls teams which is I think if you get far enough and it becomes winnable, now it's a thing you focus on and you start to get further into your season. But when I look at some of the, especially the MLS teams that are in this, where like Houston has Ache Ache out with an injury, Cincinnati's got a bunch of changes made, Inter-Miami, I don't think Inter-Miami's going to risk Lionel Messi's health or Suarez's health because it's a CONCACAF Champions Cup match versus a league match because there's you know, a higher pot at the end of it or whatever. Like they're going to treat it the way they're going to treat it, which I, I still think for a lot of teams is a massive competition. And I know like the Columbus front office is a lot of people who came from Toronto who desperately want to win this competition. I know Seattle was completely committed to winning this competition a few years ago. So that in saying that, I don't think it's different. That doesn't mean MLS teams don't care, but I still think it's case by case of like, where does it hit in your season? What does your, the road look like for you? For Philadelphia Union, they have a pretty good road in terms of competition, but they have to go to Costa Rica, which is the furthest trip you can make. Then they would potentially have to go to Pachuca at altitude and then Toluca at altitude. So that would be their first three rounds if Toluca were to get through as well. That's not an easy thing to do. So in that conversation, let's just say Ali Bedoya hasn't been around preseason maybe fully as the contract's getting done. Are you going to risk him in March? Because you want to win this. And I think Philly's a team that really is committed to winning this. And they've shown that in the past. But I, I think that question still stands, even with the new format and the new payouts. And, of course, the shiny new name. <laughs> of course. Is there a team, Goss, that you think is best positioned to sort of uh, be able to go out of the gates and, and try to make a run? Uh, I look at somebody like FC Cincinnati, who've made some really smart moves, in my opinion, seem to have strengthened, still have plenty of question marks. I think you talked about them yesterday on Extra Time, but they do seem like a team that could theoretically make a run with uh, some of the personnel they already have. Yeah, I think Columbus is the obvious one. Columbus, they get a first round okay. by, they will play... Houston or St. Louis in the second round, so they don't have to travel internationally. They might not have to leave the well, they don't have to leave their time zone. So you get that far, and you're a team that has made one major addition and has lost like one technically major player, but coming out of MLS Cup playing at their best all season right at the end, they should carry on, the hope is, to a pretty high level to start the year. And so to me, they're like the obvious ones, the big 
issue in all of that is they would match up against Tigres in the quarterfinals, who are one of the biggest clubs in the region. But at some point, you got to beat someone to win this thing. And so it might as well happen there. Yeah, the, the bracket is fascinating to me here. And guys, you kind of got to a little bit of that. There are nine MLS teams in this competition through various pathways, MLS finish, Leagues Cup, you know, Canadian Championship, etc. Nine teams, seven of them are on the same half of the bracket. The only two that are not are the Philadelphia Union and the New England Revolution. On the side with the seven MLS teams include in, are included, in my mind, the top three favorites from Major League Soccer. Into Miami, the Columbus Crew, and FC Cincinnati. On that side as well, Tigres and Monterey, two of the top three teams in the League MX standings right now, two of the biggest clubs on this continent. You could almost not draw up a worse bracket from an MLS perspective for this competition to have your three favorites, along with two of the top three teams in Mexico, along with four other MLS teams, leaving the Union, who are going to be a good team in Major League Soccer this year, and the Revolution on the other side of the bracket, when neither one of those teams really has the top-end talent. Yeah, Taylor picked up on that, maybe. Um, <laughs> neither one of those teams has the top-end talent to like really make you feel great about them doing it. Would I be shocked if the Union make a run to the final? No, I think they have a much more favorable half of the bracket. The Revs would have to come through Club America if they do advance in this competition. They could get the job done, too, right? But I don't think they're at the top of anybody's list on paper, but the bracket is so unbelievably bad for MLS. It makes me excited for the early round games. Like we're going to get really interesting games in the quarterfinal, maybe even some of the round of 16 between some of these teams. Like there's good stuff here. I just think from an MLS perspective, you're looking down the barrel of, of a competition that's probably going to have most of your top teams out or all but one in the bottom half of the bracket done you know, before you hit the final. Joe, in terms of those uh, interesting games in the first round, which ones are you sort of spotlighting, the ones that you're going to be paying attention to? Well, I am. I mean, the only MLS game happening this week, or a game involving an MLS team this week, is Vancouver versus Tigres, which is fascinating because the Whitecaps very much are the underdog there. The first game is in Canada. So there's a little bit of an edge there, but Tigres are still heavy favorites, <laughs> according to the bookmakers. They're I'm playing, curious to see what- They're playing on Vancouver Island, hence where um, Taylor changed the name of their team. They're moving stadiums for this game. I hear you can All, change lots of names these days. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All the tricks coming out of the bag, Joe. I like it. Well, you know, I like it. Tigres is not going to be able to find Starlight Stadium. <laughs> They're going to get lost. They're not going to be able to play. Why are they doing that? I think something's going on at BC Play. So they're playing at the CPL team, Pacific Stadium, which is one of the coolest at like looking atmosphere. It's like in the trees, in the mountains, on Vancouver Island. It looks amazing. So it'll be really cool. Um, what, what date is that game? I, I just now have to look and see what this is game happening. is tomorrow. So that'll be February 7th between which and just, Vancouver. I don't want you to get confused because uh-huh. it's from CCL to CCC. That game is tomorrow, but then most of the other teams start in three weeks yeah. in this competition. They are randomly playing leg one of like three series this week. And then everyone else comes on board in about three weeks because you wouldn't want people to know when the games are and like watch them and consume them. <laughs> Uh, the only event that I can find is the BC Home and Garden Show from February 8th until February 11th. I don't know if that's what they get the need grass to prepare ready, for. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I, thought, but either I way. thought Vinny Sartini was having a Nickelback concert is what I thought was happening, <laughs> but I guess not. I mean, yes, yeah, there, there aren't a ton of fantastic <laughs> round one matchups, like, and that's because this thing is seated, right? So it's, it's not like we're going to get Tigres Monterey in the opening round, but I think especially the bottom half of the bracket with all those MLS teams in it and, and Tigres and Monterey – like that sets up very nicely for some really, really good clashes in the quarterfinals and the semifinals. 
Do we think any of the big clubs, quote unquote, will be uh, maybe out early? Like I'm looking at Inter Miami. They played the winner of Nashville and Mocha. Uh, who are from checking their Wikipedia page, Dominican the Dominican Republic. Republic. Right. You yeah. both knew that off the top of your head because you're nerds. Um, could, could you see, let's say Nashville get past Mocha, could you see Nashville springing a surprise if Inter-Miami continue to have some of the issues we've already alluded to? Yep. I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of, <laughs> that's where I am. Goss, I'm curious to hear where you are. Like, it, it feels all so unknown right now. You know, I think we all probably believe that Miami are just kind of waltzing their way through, not successfully, but through their preseason schedule and that when Luis Suarez and these other guys want to turn it on, they, they probably will, but maybe not, right? And maybe they get hit in the mouth early on, and Nashville are probably a bad matchup for them to begin with. So, I don't know, guys. Any, almost anything feels in play with this competition, and that's kind of always the way it is. I agree. I would add that with Inter-Miami right now. Like, you could tell me, and I wouldn't be shocked, if Inter-Miami is the best team in MLS history in 2024. They win everything. They blow the doors off teams. They win CC or CONCACAF. God. It's going to be so strike annoying. one. <laughs> they win CONCACAF. They win League's Cup again. They win MLS Cup. Shield, maybe they don't care. Who knows? You could also tell me that it's a tire fire, right? Like, <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility. A bunch of 35-plus. Efficient and warm? Aging, yeah, <laughs> aging soccer players are, uh, are not able to carry a team. There's, you know, issues because it's. Maybe not a cohesive unit. I mean, you've got disparity of like what people are making and the experience they're from and all these other things. And like, maybe it all goes wrong. Uh, And I think this competition is going to be the first example because based off what we're seeing right now, I'd be shocked if Messi's like playing early on. So maybe playing against Nashville, especially if they have MLS games around that and it becomes a midweek situation. How much are you going to stress him early? So I think you're going to start to learn like, how does this team look without him? Can they win without him? Who sort of carries the torch? If he doesn't play, does Suarez play? Or is it like a whole different team of like Campania and Gressel and you play through them and Robert Taylor and all those things? So I think we're going to learn a lot about that. And Miami are kind of one of those teams where like the range is massive. Um, but the idea of like them going to Monterey in the quarterfinals yeah. and potentially playing Tigres in a semifinal I think that's where this competition, for me, like one of my earliest memories of this competition is Tornston Frings playing at Real Esteli in Nicaragua and like walking on a turf field. And you're like, what is Tornston Frings thinking right now? And then they cut to him How and his can face I is like, another goal? where that's definitely am what he's thinking. I? Yeah. I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive him, Goss. How dare you bring me him neither. on the show? Um, if we're picking a favorite, if you all had to choose, uh, right now, Liga MX, uh, we're five games in. We've got Monterrey on the top, uh, Club America, and then Tigres. I'm assuming we would expect one of those three to be in the final if all goes according to plan. Uh, Joe, do you have a favorite for this overall competition as we record? I'll, I do, not because I'm so sure they're the best team in the region, but I think they're one of the absolute best teams in the region, and they're on the good side of the bracket, or I guess the bad side, depending on your perspective. Club America. Like, they, they ditch all of the top MLS teams. They ditch the other top two, you know, other, other top two members of the top three in Liga Mekis. Like, Club America have the top-end talent. They do absolutely every year, and they're on the right side of this thing. I, I think they should absolutely be the favorites. Will they win? 100%. Probably not, but yeah. There's not another team on their side of the bracket that's a favorite. So, like, if you're set up in a situation where everyone else has to play each other for a chance to play you, and, like, your worst-case scenario is going to Alohalense 
or maybe going to Philadelphia. That's not that bad for a team that just won a Ligia against Tigres in like the higher highest pressure moments in front of a combined 200,000 fans over the course of a week. Like this is a battle tested team. It's a team that cohesively knows who they are right now. They've got an obvious match winner in Julian Quinones. They've played in continental competition a ton. They have experience. They have a, a bunch of players in the team who've come from other clubs where they've won this tournament or have pushed in leagues cup or whatever. They seem ready. The only curveball in all of that is there's a decent chance that they're going to play Chivas in the round of 16 and a rivalry match, right? Like the emotions of something like that, I think, start to come out of the logic of like they are clearly a better team than Chivas and the chance for a slip up and, you know, it's going to be Chicharito against the Dos Santos and like all that stuff, which I think is going to be a whole sideshow that could could throw them off. The disrespect towards Forge FC right don't, now is, is don't really get me started because you don't want to go down that road because I will go the full depth with you. You are correct. I don't want to go down that road. What <laughs> I do want to do is take a rapid break and we'll be back to talk about some MLS moves that have happened since last we talked. Back soon. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Gentlemen, it's time to talk about moves that have happened. Joe, you said offseason has been a blink, uh, which I understand at the same time. We haven't had, I feel like, a ton 
of the moves that maybe we expected? Is that a thing that you expect to happen sort of in rapid order, or is it going to be a slow trickle of transfers as we get into the start of the season? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. We're still sort of waiting on some of these teams to really make their moves. Like LAFC Mm -hmm. have a couple of DP slots open. The Galaxy are still trying to figure out what to do with their third DP spot. The Fire are, are, you know, have already agreed to, according to Tom and, and maybe some others as well, to signing a new record, uh, record deal for a number nine. Like FC Dallas have signed Peter Musa as a nine. So there, there's stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Like things are picking up, I think. But this is not unusual for MLS in that the season kicks off, but the transfer window is still open for another, what, two months. So we're still going to see moves trickle in as the year gets going, but we are starting to see some real cash get thrown around. We're at this point of the year where if you, didn't already have the move ready when last season ended, you're potentially waiting to see how the European transfer window closed and like who's available, who maybe got pushed out and didn't get moved. So I think that's where this off season became where other off seasons. Sometimes it's like these teams have ID'd their four guys and they're going for them immediately. And they're announced on December 1st and can't be signed until January 1st. And then there are other years where a lot of the moves happen like this, where like, I think Benfica looked around late and was like, oh, either we're bringing someone in that Peter Musa won't play or the move in Europe's not going to happen that we expected and MLS is the window open. And often you see good players come to MLS because it's one of the better windows that's left open later on. Joe, let me ask you, do you care? Do you trust teams more if they make the move preseason summer? Do you think the window, the market is better in the summer and you prefer it? Like, as you look at the teams that haven't made the moves, does it matter to you? I think the market is better in the summer, but I, I would still rather, if I'm an MLS fan of my team, I want them to be ready. Like, I want them to be ready to actually play soccer when the season starts. And NYCFC last year for like the best example of that, a team that had, had the talent in most spots to go and compete for a trophy. They didn't sign a number nine. Santiago Rodriguez and James Sands weren't ready and back in for the start of the season. And they have their worst ever season in, in eight seasons in Major League Soccer. So I, I don't want to be that, even recognizing that smart soccer people, Garth Lagaway is probably at the top of this list, typically do some of the most important business in the summer. And this year, he's going to be forced to do that if Amada goes. But like, I want my team to be as close to 100% ready for the start of the year as possible. I don't want to be sitting around in my hands and like hoping that we get through the first chunk of the season with like some wins. But also at the same time, MLS is way too forgiving with the regular season. They have, have made that matter as little as possible which is a reason why I would go all in on CONCACAF Champions Cup and why I would try to be ready for other competitions as well. But in, in general, like I want my team to win games and you need your good players in town to win games. Isn't the forgiving thing with CONCACAF funny because all the teams that go to a CONCACAF final like don't make the playoffs, right? Seattle, TFC, LAFC, like we've seen it a lot now, which, I, and I agree with you, which is like try really hard in this thing the first half, reset in the summer, you probably will have an international layoff most seasons because of Copa America, Gold Cup, World Cup, whatever it is, and then come back and and just put like the rubber to the road and make the playoffs. We have seen that it hasn't worked, but it's yeah. an interesting calculus, I'll tell you, for a lot of front offices of like $2 million less in the summer or a better player in the summer or being ready and having the player in preseason. I, there, There isn't a clear answer across every team in every situation. I don't think I've ever been more pro they need to change the schedule than I am after this conversation. <laughs> I mean that sincerely. Like really with the to your point, the amount of calculations front offices have to do 
the amount of decisions that have to be made that are sort of like, ah, we'll wait till the summer and see what we can do. Ah, we're not like, we don't want to go for this guy. He didn't get the move, but he's going to be too expensive. It just feels like calculations that don't put clubs into ideal positions to bring in fans, to bring in supporters, to generate interest. Like you can announce a player in January who's arriving in the summer is that going to sell season tickets? I don't know, unless it's Lionel Messi. And even then, that they're going to wait till the summer. So it just it seems like an odd conundrum for MLS, but I guess that's what MLS does. They, they you, do the odd conundrum well, I guess. I think I'm saying. we're going to have to follow up after Independiente Kai has to play in snow in Angelette Stadium <laughs> in about three weeks. So then we can re, reassess this. All right, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, then let me ask this, Joe, about Peter Musa. Is this a things can be two things sort of uh, transfer in that it does feel like he was very much surplus to requirement at Benfica. They brought in a couple players in January. They already had plenty of attackers. He felt like one that they were expecting to move. But then for FC Dallas, it's a it's a record signing. Uh, they're bringing in a a player from a high-profile club where he has scored goals, he has had success. Does this feel like a, a situation in which it's the club – where he comes from, wanted him gone. We're happy to see him gone, but it's also FC Dallas making a sizable move. Yep, I think that absolutely this move absolutely checks both of those boxes. Benfica have talent coming out the wazoo, right? Like they they don't need all of the players in their squad that they have at any given time. And Dallas wanted a number nine to move Jesus Ferreira out of that role, right? They're not married to Jesus Ferreira being around forever if the right offer comes in, as evidenced by the Moscow bid sort of happening and them being fine with it and MLS eventually squashing that. But, like, they want Ferreira to be able to operate more underneath. And Nico Estevez wants to change his system to reflect that this year, which meant bringing in a, a high-profile number nine if they could find the right guy. And they think in Peter Musa that they found the right guy. So I'll run through the scouting report. And then I have some I have some cause for concern a little bit with this move. But I still think, in general, it is a useful move that will make Dallas better. But I'll get to that in a second. The scouting report on this guy. 25 years old. Croatian striker. Has a few caps with Croatia. Uh, he, he's coming in for like an $11 million fee, somewhere in that range. It's a record deal for Dallas. He was absurdly productive as a super sub for Benfica over the last 18 months. So he was playing for them. It's not like he was this nobody on the bench. Like he, he was playing for one of the better teams in Europe. He scored 12 goals in just under 1,200 minutes and had some really sharp underlying numbers as well in the last year and a half with Benfica. 12 goals in 1,200 minutes is absurd. Like scoring a goal basically every game is something that does not happen in this game and that is sort of my cause for concern slightly here. He was coming in as a super sub. Benfica are a really good team in a way that Dallas are not relative to their competition. Like, Musa's coming off the bench, and he's having tons of opportunities at goal. He's getting really good service from his elite teammates. He's having a chance to go against lower quality defenses in favorable game situations. He's not going to have that same luxury with Dallas. He's going to be starting. He's going to be playing from the opening whistle. That changes the calculus. It changes what he's going to do Musa doesn't like to play with his back to goal. He's he's pretty good at bringing others into the game when he can face forward, but he's not super strong. He's not super physical despite being a tall guy. He likes to get in the box. He likes to sort of find and manipulate defenders and get into space inside the 18. He's really, really good at that stuff. But with Benfica, he was in a situation where that was basically all he had to do. He would play a couple of nice flicks and tricks. He would get in the box and he would score goals. It's going to be different in Dallas. So on the whole... I think this move clearly makes Dallas better. I think between the Benfica tax and like the fact that, you know, he was in a really weird situation that's not replicable in other spots coming off the bench mm-hmm. for a really good team. I think between those things, we should temper our expectations. But expecting this guy to score, you know, 15, 16 goals in MLS this year after he had a pretty good season with Boavista was, was pretty good in a couple of other places as well earlier in his career. Like that seems entirely fair. And I think the hope for Dallas is that it makes Ferreira better 
along the way by adding another real danger in the attack. To your point about the situation at Benfica, Joe, that is a thing that stood out to me watching him, is that he had all the hallmarks of a player who was ridiculously short of confidence and was maybe not happy in that situation. Uh, In the most recent games that I saw, in the footage that I saw, he has a couple shots that go right to the goalkeeper, he has a couple shots that go wide, and every time it's just like head hangs, turns around, walks away. It's very much a player who just looks like it's not working, the vibe is off, whatever it may be, and that does factor into my sort of understanding of him as a player that if it is maybe the wrong place wrong time getting that move to a place where he is going to be the marquee player the marquee signing the big name player who's expected to score goals I'm interested to see what that does to him in terms of his form in terms of how he plays if we see a next level I I also would add I fully agree with you that I think he is meant to be a complimentary player to Jesus Ferreira a few different outlets had it as he is the replacement for Jesus Ferreira because there was the interest they are not similar in any way. So that doesn't make any sense to me. But Ferreira dropping a little bit deeper and the two of them playing like sort of similar to maybe like what they had with Ricardo Pepe, like at like North Texas or something like that. That seems like a much more usable combination of the two that has me excited to watch FC Dallas. So uh, I am very much pro this move. David Goss holds his hands up an exclamation. Goss, is that what it takes for us to be excited about FC Dallas? That's I don't know, but they got good... you there. And yeah. that is, that's the go. miracle of miracles. So <laughs> that's what they were working on. Um, no, I think, you you know, from the little I've watched, I think pretty much the same as everything you guys said. Um, he is a player, it seems, that is not amazing at anything, but is good at almost everything. Uh, I think that's an easy way to fit in. I also look at a team now where you have a golden boot leader, from two years ago, who will play underneath you. A guy in Paul Ariola who scored 10 goals his first year at FC Dallas and potentially Bernard Camungo playing off you. So I think not only do you bring in a guy who, like Joe said, can score 15 or 16 goals this year, which is a massive help, but now you start to even things out. And I think you bring back some of the attacking quality for Paul Ariola and Camungo because the pressure is not on them. They're going to start getting the chances that fit their game a little bit better, especially Ariola, right? We saw two years ago he could be elite as a back post crasher in moments when the ball and focus goes away from him. But last year, there was no one to focus on. You had two center backs, track Jesus Ferreira, and then a fullback and a D-mid could deal with Paul Ariola on the far post. I think that opens up a little bit more with either Musa's quality with the ball at his feet and the attention he'll take. Similar for Kamunga. So I think on top of getting the quality of this player, it now fits in in a way where you've got Jesus Ferreira playing a little bit deeper. He can touch the ball more. You can start to create more chances overall for everyone on the team. And that's the point for Dallas. Very often, when you look at moves, it's like who's in, who's out. This is just a pure addition. They have not lost anyone from what was a struggling attack last year. They've just injected $10 million in a Benfica slash Croatian international center forward to their team. And so that should all be positives for a group that was one of the better defensive teams last year and has a lot returning. So are we giving this a tentative, hesitant thumbs up, this transfer? I'm, I'm giving it a thumbs up. I just don't think the size of the thumb will quite match up with the size of the transfer fee, if that makes Fair. sense. I asked that to then ask uh, Joe, what are you giving uh, Matty Peltola to DC United? Let me ask you, actually, before we get into, into the thumbs up, thumbs down grade, what would you have said were the areas of need based on uh, Trollisain being the manager and the roster as it existed? Um, most positions, I think for DC United, they could reasonably try to upgrade mm-hmm. on, right? I look okay. at 
Goalkeeper, I look at you know pretty much every spot on the back line that doesn't belong to Aaron Herrera right now. Click is, is sort of the guy in midfield, and I think you want Ted Pietro to get minutes this year. Every other and, oh, and Ben Teke obviously up top. A- every other spot. So what does that leave? Like six or seven outfield spots or, or total spots in this team. I think you could reasonably try to upgrade on. It's going to take time for DC, and I think they they sort of realize that. I, and you can tell that tone from them by the transfers that they made and the fact that the biggest moves of the offseason are not on the personnel side. They're in the front off, they're on the front office side and on the coaching side to bring in Ali Mackay and to bring in Troy Lassane as, as the chief soccer officer and, and manager respectively. Like they're trying to get younger, fresh ideas into the club outside of the field. And I think they're hoping to stabilize on the field to maybe not pick up the spoon this year and to try to systematically <laughs> build and add talent to this team. That's where they are. Like I that's know. where this team I is. The, the third. Yeah. I'm sorry, Taylor, for all this, by the way. I don't, it doesn't bring me joy to dump on DC United or Manchester United, but here we are. I think it brings Ryan joy. It definitely brings you joy to dump on um, Manchester United. I refuse to accept that, but go ahead. Uh, at, at times, perhaps maybe, but <laughs> with, with DC, like you can sort of tell the tone of their season mm-hmm. by the third DP that they made. They went out and signed Matty Patola, defensive midfielder. Like, 21-year-old Finnish international as a young DP. With limited profile who doesn't score goals and was available on a free? What are you talking about, Joe? That's what everyone was clamoring for. And I don't know the contract, right? So you're talking about being available as a, you know, as a, on a free transfer. Like, uh-huh. transfers are, are brought into the salary budget charge. So without that, like, is this guy really making $1.7 million? Not a chance, right? I'll be shocked if he is. So I don't think he has to occupy this DP spot forever. But, like, they announced him as a young DP. Like, this is their third DP along with Benteke and Click. And Peltola is not a guy who's going to elevate this team from being, oh, no, we're in 10th in the East and we want to climb into one of the wildcard spots. That's not his game. Like, he doesn't have any real top-end playing experience. He's 21 years old. He either plays as a six or as a fullback. Like, he's not the missing piece to make this team suddenly into a contender. It's another sign that DC are, are willing to be patient. And that's not going to be easy for fans, but willing to be patient inside the club to try and stabilize before they really go out and acquire a ton more talent. Joe, my first thought in watching him was, this is going to be very, very harsh. I have a certain feeling here about Matty Peltola, I guess. Uh, basically, Brad Smith, if Brad Smith were 21 years old, is about what I was seeing. Uh, he's left-footed, he can play in midfield. I saw him playing a lot of left-back, which I think also threw me off because they listed him as a midfielder. He can yep. play there, he has played there, but seems to be more defense-minded. So I guess if it's a, like... A defender who can also play in midfield and be sort of a defensive midfielder, maybe that makes more sense as long as they're not trying to build him as an exciting midfield attacker or something like that. No, and I don't think they have, right? Like okay. you go and watch him play. He, he just isn't, he's just not that guy. And, and I don't think DC United really are trying to convince anybody that they are that guy. Like they've gone full ghost mode after hiring their, their couple of big, you know, off field pieces this offseason. Now they're off in Saudi Arabia with no one talking about what they're doing or what's going on. And everybody's just sort of on the same page with DC. I think that includes DC United about, yeah, we we know we're probably not going to be really good this year. Like us being good involves a lot of things, a lot of ifs becoming yeses this season. So I don't think anybody should or does feel particularly good about this team. Could they make the playoffs? It's Major League Soccer. Absolutely, they could. Are they going to win a trophy this year? I don't think anybody's under that assumption. Okay, let me give counter or... Devil's advocate here a little bit. Excited for this, guys. Finnish advocate, I believe it's called. Uh, <laughs> Would you like some reindeer with that? Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think two of the biggest acquisitions in MLS over the last three or four years have been Obina Noboto and Andres Kubas. So it's a position that if you hit, 
you can change the reality of your team pretty quickly. You can change the reality for your attacking players. I would also throw in, we've seen um, the New York Red Bulls spend a lot at players of similar profile in a similar role. And that's not Troy Lassane's background, but that's where he came in to MLS through. We saw Drew Yearwood brought in. We saw the amount they gave up for Frankie Amaya. Um, and so I think you're Nailed looking it. at what? Like both, like were the, are those positive examples? No, of those, are, so they're, those are both bad. <laughs> okay, but you can gotcha. start to see in terms of building your game model and trying to do it in year one and, and trying to make a difference where this could fit. And then the last piece would be if he's on a borderline DP contract, you bring him in now as a DP, it, it opens up the U22 roster spots. Sure. And then you can downgrade him in the future as he, you can amortize whatever you brought him in for or change things. Um, and we have seen, not from the Finnish league, but players come from Finland that have been successful. Robin Ludd and Alex Ring, obviously the two ob- the two big ones, but they were five or six years older and had played yeah. across Europe before they came to MLS. So it feels like DC is trying to hit before he costs three mm-hmm. or four sure. million dollars on this acquisition. Um, and they're trying to do it in a moment where they have probably a little bit of an opening because they already have been teching and click locked yeah. in and they're not going for the high end DPs that are going to change their reality. If you get a guy in central midfield who can cover ground, who can help protect the back line a little bit and who can help facilitate possession, it can take you from 10 to seven pretty quickly in MLS. Yeah. And that's the reality for DC United. So I can understand worrying about this because we have no confidence in DC to sign players from overseas that we haven't watched for 15 years, like Wayne Rooney, Benteke and click. And we have no confidence in a player coming straight from Finland um, into this team. In terms of the profile, there's a decent amount that makes sense right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, I I don't think the Paltola, Kubas, Loboto comp works because yeah, they're the same position, but they're also four years different from when they were arriving in the league in terms of age. But I take your point, Gus, like, Having a solid piece at the base of your midfield does almost always make the pieces around them perform at a higher level. So I think DC going in and trying to find that player, accepting that, hey, you know, we can give him real minutes this year behind another very good midfielder in Mateusz Klick. He's going to grow and we, we really like his profile. Like I think Ali McKay seems like a smart dude coming over from Nashville. So I'm not condemning this signing but like I said earlier, it just crystallizes DC's expectations for themselves. Like they are not trying to swing for the fences. They're not going out there and trying to big, break the bank on a third DP. They're going and saying, hey, maybe this makes us incrementally better this year. And we hope it makes us two to three spots in the standings better next year as we continue to rebuild around our DPs. But like, you know, DC have made it very clear what we should expect from them in 2024. DC United all-time DPs. Luciano Emilio. Marcelo Gallardo, Bronco Boscovich, Dwayne Rosario, Hamdi Salihi, Rafael, Eddie Johnson, Fabian Espindola, Paul Ariola, Wayne Rooney, Lucas Rodriguez, Edson Flores, Taxi Fantas, uh, Victor Paulson, Christian Benteke, Matthias Klick, and now Maddie Peltola. There is a hit rate in there. I'm not sure it's a strong hit rate, but you know, you never know. We'll see what happens. It, it is. It is a used car lot of designated player signings. It is for the majority. <laughs> Guys who were DPs in name only or DPs because they thought they had to sign one. What's funny about that is, if we go all the way back, Luciano Emilio was like not the profile I think that MLS had in mind when they created the rule. And he was the first one to break the mold of like, find a good soccer player wherever they are and it'll make your team better. And then DC doubled back on themselves and were like, no, 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 no. They have to play in Europe. 
They have to play for a national team. We have to try and appeal to the different markets in D.C. to come watch this team. And they have failed since then or been super cheap and gotten like the cheapest possible DP. The only people who have been cheaper with DPs are Houston and Chicago over the last over the course of the rule. Luciano Emilio. I love him so much. Great soccer player. Great oh, yeah. team. Still good. Still good. I played a, like a pickup charity game with him. No, you he, didn't. He ball. Oh, yeah. I The only one who took it. He didn't take it that seriously. Aleko Eskandarian yeah, took it seriously and scored I some goals. <laughs> um, and I will say, if I wanted to be a little bit more positive, I, I think you all have nailed it. That he's a very young player who was, I believe, done with his contract with HJK. And I don't think that was out of contract like wasn't good enough. I think that was out of contract, wanted to find the club that could allow him to step up in profile and then probably make that next jump after that. And so in that way, seen from that perspective, you could argue it's a, it's a strong move for DC United to get him in, for him to have a platform, uh, for them to build around him a little bit, but then also be okay with selling him if the right offer comes in. Uh, I, I think all of that does make sense. I just am skeptical about dc united because everything we've talked about every single time we talk about dc united uh let's stop talking about them a few more moves to be discussed one more break we'll get back to doing that very soon welcome back to the total soccer show up next we have a player who i texted joe lowry about because i wasn't that excited joe texted me back i watched some more and now i'm slightly more excited that's my billing to talk about augustine ojeda uh to nycfc new york city FC is, I believe, what I'm supposed to call them now, uh, from Racing Club for $7 million. Joe, you stoked? You excited about this one? Uh, yeah, I am within the context that NYCFC tend to hit on these young South American mm-hmm. attackers. Like, that's their whole thing, kind of, and a lot of them turn out to be pretty darn good. Ojeda looks raw. Still, he's just 19 years old, and that was a big part of the, the difference, Taylor, as we were texting a bit. You know, the difference in yeah. allowable and acceptable mistakes when you're 19 I forgot and that when, was you're, the key when you're 21, yeah. like that's that's a huge difference. So to still be 19, just sort of starting to break into the Argentine top flight, now he's in Major League Soccer, or he's going to be, Trey Fillmore and the outfield, who do a fantastic job, the outfield of covering NYCFC, Trey Fillmore wrote a scouting report and sort of a whole piece on Ojeda. And there was one line in there that really, really stuck out to me. And I think this describes Ojeda's game pretty darn well. Uh, he said, uh, Augustin scurries like a toddler that just nabbed his mother's iPhone, arms wide, hunched over, each step pounding the ground. I love that line from that piece from Trey. It's really, really good. Go check it out. Go subscribe to the outfield, all that stuff. He is a vertical, like crafty, dribbly, right-footed winger who likes to get to the end line, likes to be on the ball and drive forward very, very quickly. Like that's his thing. And NYCFC need more of that. I think in Hannes Wolf, they got another more direct player coming over from Europe with a pretty good pedigree. Like they've gotten stronger and I think a little more diversified in their attack ahead of 2024. And most importantly for NYCFC, it seems like they're on track to get these players into town early on instead of doing what they did last year. We mentioned that earlier on the show. So Ojeda is still super raw, has a ton of room to grow. I don't think he's going to play a massive role if he hits a thousand minutes this year. Maybe that's about right. A thousand, fifteen hundred minutes in MLS. That feels right on the money. He's not going to come in and be an every game starter. But, I mean, they, they paid up for him, and I think they, CFG, expect him to be a, a nice young piece that they can flip for something. Guys, it was a strange thing. I texted Joe about this, as I said, and then Joe said, I mean, for a 19-year-old, he's raw, but I think there's, like, there's, there's talent there. And I had in my head that he was 21 for some reason, and weirdly, that distinction was enough for me to be like, oh, okay, totally. well, then, yeah, no, 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 he's fine. 
Because he is definitely raw uh, from what I watched. He can definitely hit a pass. He has a few that I saw where he's threading the needle, splitting defenders. Uh, he can take people on. He has some dribbles. Then I saw several where he runs straight into a defender or dribbles yeah. out of bounds. Um, but I think he, he's raw. He's very energetic. He brings a lot of intensity. Uh, definitely will press. Definitely will go hound a defender and force mistakes. But as Joe said, not the finished product. So I think it's a smart signing if he's not being relied on to carry that attack. It doesn't sound like he will be, though, with some of the other signings they have pursued and are currently pursuing. Yeah, they've made 19 signings this offseason. So everyone's going to get an opportunity, I think, to fit in. Um, A lot of what I've seen is similar to you of like willing to take a ton of people on, successful not that often. Um, but that comes with time and strength and and all of that. And and I think NYCFC specifically have been successful in bringing in, I think of Gabi Pereira, Talos Magno when he first got there, um, Tiago Andrade for a little bit as well. Of course, Tati, who they shifted from a tricky winger into a scrappy center forward. Um, but they've been successful, I think, in getting players like that space. Like one of the things NYCFC does so well, even on the smallest field in the league, is making the field feel big. And they're able to get 1v1 players into situations that make them comfortable, where they can be game changers on the edge of the box, get take your guy on, get to the end line, cut it back, cut inside, get a shot away. Of course, coming all the way down from Pep Guardiola and the CFG system, they're, they're, they're very good at helping those players, and they're very good at IDing those players. And one of the things that CFG has, that a few other clubs have, is their teams play against most opponents. So when they go scout a player, if it's not in the CFG family, like, they have a club that is playing against them. They have coaches that are working around those players or have worked with those players. It's why I think their hit rate has been so high, especially out of Uruguay and Argentina, where for other people, it's a bit more of a mystery. So I think there's a ton of confidence. And then you add in, they've signed a Serbian center forward. They have Bakrar coming back. So you've got players who can put the ball in the back of the net that you believe in around players like this, who then they can set up, takes a little bit of pressure off. Um, it feels like NYCFC has reloaded. There's not a ton of experience in the group. I'm not super worried about that because I think there's so much talent that they can overcome. But there is not a Maxi Morales. Even Tati, the year they made MLS Cup, had been in the league and been around the team for three years at that point. They don't exactly have that guy. But in terms of being better than last year, they're leaps and bounds past where they were a year ago. I think that's true. Gus, you mentioned the the Serbian number nine. Not officially signed yet, but it, it very much seems like that deal is happening. Jovan Mijatovic. Uh, I am fully on the Jovan Mijatovic hype train, and I just want to plant my flag now. Uh, quick scouting report. Rangy left-footed number nine, who can also maybe play as a second forward or in the half spaces or even a little deeper as maybe a number 10. Uh, he was playing for Red Star Belgrade, which is one of the best youth product producers in the world. Uh, 18 years old, apparently, Taylor, and I know this will hook you, Bayer Leverkusen were legit interested in signing him, and it didn't work out. I don't know if they wouldn't meet the evaluation or what, Uh but City Football Group very much wanted Mijatovic, and they went out and got him. And there were questions, is this going to be Man City signing him because that's how much they believe in him and loaning him to NYCFC, or is it just going to be a permanent deal for NYCFC, and it sounds like it's going to be the latter there? Uh, Eight goals in just over 600 minutes for Red Star in, in Serbia's top flight this season. He is putting the ball in the back of the net a lot. And Paul Harvey, credit uh, credit to Paul. He's done some work for, for us over at backfield in the outfield as well. He tossed out a Wayne Rooney comp for Mijatovic. I think that is really, really good. He's not short. Wayne Rooney's not really short either. He's a little squatter, Mijatovic. Strong. I think he's 5'10". So he's, he's like average height, for, even for a soccer player. That's, that's pretty average. And 
he's a he's just like a strong kid. Like he is going to bowl right through you. He's really hard to knock off the ball. Good vision, good passing range. Hunts for the ball in the box. Not every transfer hits. Most transfers don't, and most transfers involving young players don't seem to hit. But crossover, the, the European clubs that were interested in him, his status as a Red Star player, and the fact that NYCFC do seem to hit on a lot of these signings, I am very, very excited to see this kid in MLS for as long as he's going to be here. I'm Joe Lowry. I'm six feet tall. Yeah, I was That's like, I Joe's really going through it on the height <laughs> experience here. <laughs> I'm also 5'10". Um, I'm also the- are you really? I think you're above six. Yeah, Graham and Ryan are way taller than me. You and I are like about the same height. And yeah, yeah, I anyway. got up to five eleven and three quarters once, and that was proud it. of you. That was it. Been shrinking ever since. You took uh, those really the, putting in work there. You indeed. You all have talked about a lot of players for NYCFC. I am excited to talk about Hannes Wolf for a moment. Uh, a player that I did not know had made that transfer. I'm very confused what happened to his career at Gladbach. He has not played, I believe, a single minute for them. This entire season, which has not been a good season, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, but he is a player who uh, is Austrian, came through the Salzburg system, uh, I, I think other youth clubs before that, but then Salzburg to Leipzig, then goes to Gladbach, then has been kind of all over the place, but is only 24 years old, and for a period of time felt like he could be a critical player for both Austria and Gladbach and maybe get a bigger move from there, and then it just kind of doesn't connect. It feels like what he needs is a place where he can land, get comfortable again, play some good football, and then see how it goes from there. I feel like this is a really smart signing and a player that could be really influential, but at the same time, they got him for free, I believe. So even if he doesn't hit, it's not that big of a hit uh, overall. It feels like a really smart bit of business uh, amongst all the other business that uh, New York has done. So credit to them for that. At least New York have actually sign players as opposed to say the Blackburn Rovers should we talk about Duncan McGuire for a moment uh at time of recording he has not actually moved though he is still in England because Blackburn not good at paperwork is that about where we are Joe uh I think so like I'm pretty sure that's where we've been so uh Tom and, and some other folks at the athletic have been all over this story Duncan McGuire was heading to Blackburn Blackburn who in the championship right now had agreed to a deal with Orlando City. Duncan McGuire hopped on a flight. Then all of a sudden, uh, Indian ownership comes in and says, like, no, actually, we don't have the money for Duncan McGuire, so the deal's off. McGuire still stays in England for a little bit, and eventually Orlando and Blackburn come to a different agreement. It's a loan agreement with a loan fee and a, a hefty transfer option to buy baked into that deal as well. And everybody's like, okay, sounds good. Let's do this. Duncan McGuire is going to be a Blackburn player. And then there's some sort of mystical administrative error that pushed the paperwork past the deadline over in England. And now Blackburn are in the process of appealing this transfer, hoping that Duncan McGuire is going to get to play. It sounds like Thursday is the day that we're actually going to learn what the final ruling is. Till I know you're skeptical that this deal gets over the line now. And yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that's probably fair given that Blackburn were late in filing this stuff, which means he was not registered before the transfer deadline. For the third time in 18 months. This is the Correct. third time this has happened with Blackburn. Yeah, so with I Luis O'Brien. Like, yeah, yeah, it's 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 this is a pattern for them. They seem like a very poorly run club. To be honest, I see where Duncan McGuire is coming from. He doesn't make very much money for an MLS player. He makes like sixty, seventy thousand dollars after being drafted from Creighton last year by Orlando. He wants to get paid, man. And I get it. Like you're only a professional athlete for so long. At the same time, Blackburn feels like just an absolute yeah. mess of a club, both on and off the field. They're not a good team in the championship. I'm sympathetic to him wanting to go, and and that's probably still the right thing to do from a maximizing your earnings perspective. But also, another season or half season in Orlando probably wouldn't be the worst thing either. I don't know, Goss, where where are you on this? 
it wouldn't help that it sounds like Orlando may have signed the replacement for Duncan McGuire yeah. and then he would come back in Luis Muriel. And if it's a half season with the idea that he's going to go away, okay, fine. Muriel's going to have to find his feet. He has to get involved. You'd assume Duncan McGuire would be the starter, at least in CONCACAF competition and at the beginning. Um, and that's the only thing I think that trips it up. Because if not, if you're Orlando, you're like, we did everything we could to try and get you where you wanted to be. And now you're stuck here. So like, show everyone how good you are. Maybe we get a better move at the end of this, not to a team that doesn't know how to click the next button or the send button or whatever, doesn't pay for internet. We could go ahead and send you to like a real club that has people. Um, so that would be the possibility. There are, I think going to be other rumors now coming around. Like if Orlando has replaced him, does he play for a different MLS team, which is a little bit mind blowing to think about. And maybe it's not long enough of a time for that to happen, but it would be really interesting to see like what the knock on effect of this is. Um, and it's unfortunate for him, of course. Yeah. Like that's the big thing for me. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's he, just, did you read the thing about how he had two different offers? And two different cars, basically. I did not read the car thing. So he's in, I think he's in Manchester awaiting like the finalization of this move. And it's Blackburn and then it's Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, very aggressive in their pursuit as well. Uh, they are second bottom in the championship, though. But they both, both clubs sent cars apparently to the hotel. Uh, he ends up just getting his own taxi with an agent and they go to Blackburn. But Blackburn had prepared a whole presentation on how they create better goal scoring opportunities, how they create better clear cut chances, how they'll have more long term success there. And he ends up choosing Blackburn over Sheffield. But you have to, I just have such sympathy for him now because yeah. he has to be wondering if I'd gone the other way, maybe I get relegated, but maybe I'm the one to save Sheffield Wednesday. And either way, I would actually be registered as a Wednesday player. I do have some sympathy for Blackburn, certain Blackburn personnel, because it feels like there was a lot of effort and scouting and thought put into this signing. It wasn't just a panic buy. It was very much a player that Blackburn had evaluated, identified as being a player that could contribute both now and in the long term. And then it all falls through because they fail to file, pa file Wait, paperwork for the third time. Do you feel bad for Blackburn who shot themselves in the foot? I feel bad for the personnel at Blackburn who did their jobs. Got it. And yeah, I fair. do not feel bad for the people who did not. And it seems like there is a footballing department that was doing its job. And then a front office department controlled by the Venkies that was yeah. doing the opposite of that. Some speculation that they deliberately messed up the paperwork because they didn't have the money and this was a way to get around that. Uh, that has been scoffed at, that has been dismissed, but it is still speculation that exists. Either way, I think Duncan McGuire, I can't see them deciding, oh, you made a mistake? Well, fine, you can transfer a player after the window is closed. I yeah. think that's not really a thing that happens, so I do feel like he goes back to Orlando also, and then they try to find another buyer. What's the appeal? Hey, we made this mistake. It'll yeah. never happen again, except for the two times <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did yeah, yeah. it over the last year. Um, and, and I think the scary thing for Duncan McGuire is like he doesn't have a body of work. So like if he sits out for six months now, which I don't think will happen because he's an Orlando player, mm -hmm. the MLS window's open, like there's no issues there. But if that were to happen, now you've been a professional for 18 months and you've only played 12 of them and he wasn't a starter the first half of last year. So now you're trying to get teams to come in on you basically on about a, a half season's worth of work, which is not a lot to convince a team to fork over multi-million dollars. So I think that's a little bit worrying for him um, as it should be for Orlando. And, and that's kind of what's tough with some of these moments of, like you said, like making that decision door, you choose where you go. I mean, we've seen for so many players make the wrong move and 
Look at what you're talking about with Hans Wolf. Look at what we're talking about with Gio Reyna right now. Like all these spots of like, what's the decision for a young player? And you only have um, so much time to go on it. But I think it's funny. I mean, I think Tom was the one who tweeted out about a potential loan inside of MLS. Like who wouldn't want it? So now all of these teams who haven't made their DP center forward acquisitions are like, oh, this guy scored 15 goals last year. That that could be fun. Where where would he have the biggest impact, do you think? I don't think I mean, Cincinnati would be mad at another another player coming in in that front line, but I also don't know how they have the room or like what the contract stuff is yeah. on all that stuff. But I mean, Although, I think about them as needing that one more piece maybe he's to get back to where they were. He's only on like 70 grand, yeah, right? He doesn't make <laughs> yeah. a lot yeah. of true, money. True, true, true. Um, okay, yeah, right. I don't have a ton of confidence in Dejan Jovalich as a starter for the LA Galaxy. I know Joe's already given them MLS Cup this year, but Correct. I worry yeah. about that position. Yeah. So that's one where he could have two DP wingers and Ricky Pooj around him oh. and just be a pure finisher. Guys, we missed it. It's Colorado, obviously. Fringe USMNT guys everywhere in Colorado these days. Come on now. That's, that's the move. Uh, Joe, any other moves that you wanted to shout out while we're here? We're going long, but that's what we do. Uh, do you want to praise Charlotte at all for, for clearing the decks as you've long been advocating? Shout out to Charlotte. Getting the job done. Absolutely love it from Charlotte FC. Carol Swiderski over to Hellas Verona in Syria on a loan with an option to buy. That opens up his DP spot. Not every DP going out on loan does that, but this move does from Charlotte. That's not confusing at all, but it's good news for Charlotte FC fans. And then Camille Josviak, one of the worst DPs in MLS history, is now over at the bottom of La Liga or near the bottom of La Liga with Granada. So they have now opened, Charlotte, two DP spots. Ambition has never been a problem. It has been talent identification and having any sort of uniform plan across the on-field and off-field elements of the club. Those things are issues, and I don't necessarily expect those to have changed. But even just getting two more bites of the apple, like you might hit a good bite. You know, most of the apple might be rotten, but you might actually finally get to like a, a bite that you can tolerate. And maybe that's going to be this season for Charlotte. So that is real addition by subtraction. I, I don't think Swiderski was a bad player. But from the moment they brought in Enzo Capetti, he was redundant. Like Swiderski, in my mind, is absolutely best as a number nine. And they said, no, nah, we don't really think you're a number nine. Let's go get Capetti, even though you were a double-digit goal scorer for, uh, for us last year. And Capetti's underlying numbers in Argentina weren't very good. Like, let's go do that and we'll move you around. And it just never worked. So I think Charlotte have absolutely gotten better by getting those guys off the team now allowing themselves to have the opportunity to bring in two more players at some point before this primary window ends. I think they'll sign at least one DP in this window. All the agents in the Champo and League One seeing Dean Smith with two open DP spots <laughs> rubbing their hands, baby. It is Christmas come Aww. late or early. I don't really know how you describe that. Um, can I steal one from Joe here and throw it out there? Diego yes. Rubio. Yeah. Gus, can I tell you my thoughts on Diego Rubio? My personal thoughts, not influenced by anybody else. I think he fits on pretty much all the teams that had interest. He's so versatile. He can lead the line. He can stay high. He's creative in his finishing. He can finish with both feet, and he can also play make. I don't know if anyone has said that on, say, an MLS-centric podcast before, but that's how I feel. Taylor, I appreciate you setting the conversation and not following it. I appreciate you being a leader and not a sheep. <laughs> Joe, I'm directly quoting David Goss from yesterday. Uh, yeah, show. I got, that. She, I got okay. that. Thank you. I think everybody was on board with that, Taylor, but thank you for explaining. Just it was the blind stare to the camera that had me. Once you got into the fifth compliment, I was like, that sounds familiar. Um, uh, but yeah, let's talk about Ro- Rubio, so shall we? I agree with you, Taylor. Oh, do you? Like curveball. It would be weird if what, you didn't. It would be weird if you didn't. <laughs> with what you just said, um, him and Nico Ladera were the two guys that I was playing the, like, where could they end up starting last October or September? And, like, as I have said, because of his versatility, he could fit anywhere. And it is shocking 
but it ended up being, it sounds like a one-year deal, 350K for a guy who has shown he can be the best attacking player on a good team. Now, those Colorado teams were defensive-based, and so that wasn't exactly like he was playing like Lucho Acosta was last year, but we're talking about 350K for a guy who could, if healthy, be the center forward. And I think that's where the question marks fell for a lot of teams was how healthy would he be? How big of a risk is it? What type of roster spot is he filling for you that can you have cover for him? But Joe brought up FC Cincinnati. Like if you could have brought him and Corey Barrett in to replace what you were getting from Brandon Vasquez plus, like that sounds like an amazing move. I know Seattle wanted a sure thing with Musovsky because Rui Diaz has been a question mark, but man, like him playing off with Jordan Morris playing alongside him and rolled on like that team could be special. I just talked about the LA galaxy as well. So great work from Austin. Cause it feels like for Austin based off everything we're hearing from the new sporting director, like they're not going to get work done. So they're going to have to either make moves in the summer or wait a full season. This is a stopgap move that if it hits now, all of a sudden you're looking at two or three of your attacking, you know, front four, that are playing at a high level and are really dangerous and can at least carry you through to the summer while you figure out, okay, who are the guys we can rely on? How can we get the guys who are, we're stuck on like a Rigoni or a Redes out of this team and bring in some quality to replace them? I like both of these moves quite a bit. I think the Rubio move is super smart from Austin. Rodolfo Burrell came in to replace Claudio Reyna midway through last season as the sporting director after well, you know, everything happened with Claudio Arena and Greg Berhalter and their their respective families. So I think that is still something that Austin fans have been waiting to pay off, right? Like you bring in a sporting director, one of Pep's former assistant coaches, experience at Manchester City and Barcelona. You're waiting for, for the big name signings to start coming in. And they just haven't. And Rodolfo Burrell talked to Jeff Carlisle on ESPN and said basically, like, yeah, we, we've had players that we wanted and we just cannot get them. Like that's the rough paraphrase there. And they're hoping that that's going to start really helping some moves come in to, to be able to actually snag some players off of their desired lists. But if you look at in terms of intra-league moves, going out and sna- snagging Diego Rubio in free agency, even though it's not really clear where he's going to play, like I, I don't know exactly where he fits in this attack because in Jossie Zardes, like, is he the nine or is Rubio going to be the nine? I think Rubio and, and Driussi maybe could work really well together. And I, I think Rubio is a better player at this point in his career than Jossie Zardes. But Zardes is also less injury prone, right? So there's still plenty of questions for Austin, but I think this move is absolutely a step in the right direction, even if it is a small step. And Joe, if I give you, let's say, two minutes to talk about LAFC and what they're doing, is that too much or not enough? Uh, it, I think that's right about right. right. Like We're still waiting on, on the big DP signings for them, but they've made some, some fascinating moves in this offseason for me. And, and they've gone out and replaced Diego Palacios at left back with Omar Campos from Liga Mekis. 21-year-old, like, is regarded by some folks that I know as one of the better left-backs in Liga MX. He's certainly one of the better young ones. So I think that's a move that LAFC fans should have some faith in. I don't think he pops when you watch him, really, but he looks like a fine option. And Palacios kind of was that guy who grew into being one of the better left-backs in MLS. So I think there's some hope there. And then you look at a couple of young players that they've signed. Again, we're still waiting on the big moves. But Thomas and Hell comes in. And he is this versatile left-footed forward, 20 years old from Colombia. He's a Colombian youth international. Like, is somebody that LAFC really like and looks like a nice young piece in that attack. And then David Martinez, one of, as far as I can tell, the best prospects that Venezuela has right now. 17-year-old left-footed attacker, can play on the wing, can play as a number 10. I don't think he's going to play more than, I don't know, 800 minutes in MLS this year. Maybe that's even a bit high. I don't know what LAFC's plans are for him. 
but clearly they value him as a young talent. And, and from the tape that I've seen, he looks really, really fun. So he's still missing that pro experience. But I, I think generally speaking, it's hard to view all of those signings as anything but a positive for LAFC. The big question for them is just like, what's the top end of the roster going to look like? Uh, when are you going to get these pieces? Who are they going to be? You're running up real close to the start of, of your season and some useful games for this group. So still big question marks there. But again, I like the moves that LAFC are making. Lewandowski, Joe. That's the way. Lewandowski, Make it happen, man. Make it happen. Gus, I'm looking at you. Make that move happen, okay? I literally am getting coffee with him in like an hour. There we go. See? I appreciate the muting and unmuting as well. What's going on with South Korea? They've lost. Oh. Shockingly, Jurgen Klinsmann's team tripped on themselves for like the 15th time this tournament, and yet this time they didn't get a miracle <laughs> in stoppage time. Well, commiserations to uh, South Korea supporters for that one, and I guess to Jurgen Klinsmann supporters if they still exist. David Goss, thank you so much uh, for all of your work today. Very much appreciated, my friend. Taylor, just check my mentions in eight hours. You can see if Jurgen Klinsmann fans still exist. <laughs> I will do just that. Joe Lowry, thank you, my friend, uh, for being our resident Jurgen Klinsmann stand, but also for your other contributions on this episode. Right back at you, Taylor. <laughs> uh, listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.